You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Our next reader um, is someone who occupies, I think we would all say, one of the, a, a central position in modern science fiction, who's well-known and well-respected and quite important, I think, because he points, his work points both to the past and to the future. To the past, I think, because he's uh, in many ways an old-school writer who writes old-school science fiction, which is speculation about scientific matters. And I think in the same way he points to the future because I see science fiction more and more returning to that um, sort of central value that it had for many of us. And that's a sort of a serious introduction for me, but I, I sort of mean it. I think... Um, um, I think it's time for science fiction to get back into speculating about science, and this guy is one of the best. He's got like uh, 21 novels, 22, 23, I don't know, but they deal, they're high concept novels, and he's a high concept guy. He's a lecturer, he's a teacher, he's down here for a SETI conference, uh, for Christ's sake. Uh, He deals with the stuff of science fiction, and he's here to share with us, uh, and he's also won every major award in the field, and like I say, he's, he's, he's been here for a while, and he's made quite a mark, and he's still at it. Uh, let's all welcome Robert Sawyer. Thank you, thank you. You're recording that, right? So I want to use Rachel's mic and stand up front. No, no, the cord is longer on Rachel's. Oh, oh. I moved. <laughs> I, I ambulate Never or mind. something. This comes out, I'm sure. Yeah. He also ambulates. I ambulate or something like that. (laughs) Let me sneak this one out here because I do not like to do a seated reading. And I do want to make a little public service announcement because I am here in the Bay Area through the courtesy of the SETI Institute, the Search for Extraterrestrial Institute, which is having a conference starting tomorrow night in Santa Clara uh, called SETICon, where science meets science fiction. And it is about, of course, with the focus of the search for extraterrestrial life, lots of world-class scientists uh, and uh, some science fiction writers, some people who've worked in science fiction television shows, such as Andre Bormanis from the various Star Trek series, uh, some actors who played aliens. And it should be an awful lot of fun. And if any of you don't already have your weekend plans, please Google or just go straight to seticon.org. SETICON.org. How do you remember it's .org? Because they're looking for organisms, right? So it's not .com, it's .org. <laughs> Go to SETICON.org. And I thank them for flying me down to the Bay Area and giving me the chance to do this the night before. I'm going to read an excerpt from my uh, 21st novel, Triggers, which uh, came out a couple of months ago from Ace Science Fiction. Uh, and just to set it up here, um, I will tell you a little bit of introduction. Kadeem Adams is an African-American veteran of the Iraq War who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. An experimental, uh, an experiment to erase the memories that are disturbing him has gone awry, and his mind has become linked to that of Seth Jarrison, the President of the United States. The President is recovering in hospital from an attempted assassination, and Kadeem is a patient in the same hospital. He's asked for a chance to meet the President. I'll go into the scene. 
Kadeem Adams didn't have a room at Luther Terry Memorial Hospital. He'd come to the hospital yesterday morning as part of his work with Professor Singh and was staying in a small hotel Singh had arranged. But although the lockdown was now over, he'd hung around, hoping for a call from Secret Service agent in charge, Susan Dawson, who had said the president was sleeping intermittently. Kadeem was sitting in Singh's little office on the third floor, doodling on a pad of paper. He knew he might never have a chance like this again. The linkages had persisted for hours now, but no one knew if they were permanent. And even if they were, he hoped, uh, he prayed Professor Singh would finish what he'd started in treating him. But for now, for right now, he had something people jockeyed for, fought for, bribed for, begged for. He had the attention of the president of the United States. It was an opportunity not to be wasted. And if Singh did figure out how to break the linkages, an opportunity that wouldn't come again. Kadeem understood how it worked. The president didn't think the same thoughts at the same time as he did, but he could recall anything that Kadeem knew, just as Kadeem could recall anything that Agent Susan Dawson remembered. And so he knew, because he'd been pondering the question, that Sue had indeed pushed for him to be allowed to visit the president. And at last, the call came. He told Agent Dawson where he was, and she came to get him, escorting him down the stairs. His footfalls and hers echoed in the stairwell. She was behind him. They exited on the second floor and headed along the corridor. A photographer, a Hispanic man of 40, was waiting. He had two big cameras on straps around his neck. The three of them continued on into the president's room. The two Secret Service agents stood on either side of the closed door. They nodded curtly at Agent Dawson, and one of them opened the door, holding it while first Kadeem, then Susan entered. It was shocking to see President Jerison like this. He was looking haggard and wan. It was almost enough to make Kadeem stop, but, but no, he had to do this. He owed it to the others. As he looked at the president, more details registered. He was surprised, for instance, at how much white there was in the president's hair. Kadeem remembered him mostly from the campaign when his hair had been mixed between gray and sandy brown. He imagined that being leader of the free world aged you more rapidly than just about any other job. Kadim glanced at the nurse sitting across the room, then looked at Jerison again. The back of the president's bed was elevated so that he could sit up a bit. He was wearing Ben Franklin glasses, but they had slid down the considerable length of his nose. He looked over them, smiled, and managed a small wave. Come in, flash, young, flash, man, flash, come in. The photographer jockeyed for position, now getting shots of Kadim. Kadim was surprised to hear his voice crack. It hadn't done that since he was 13. Hey, Mr. President. The president extended flash, his hand flash, and Kadim closed the distance flash and shook it flash. Jerison's grip was weak. It was clearly an effort for him to shake hands at all. Please, the president said, gesturing now to a vinyl-covered chair next to his bed. Won't you have a seat? Kadim sat down, which put his head and the president's at roughly the same level. Thank you, sir. So, Miss Dawson tells me you're in the army. Yes, sir. Your rank? But then he smiled. Private. First class, right? 
serial number 08079-3196, isn't it? That's it, sir. It's so strange having your memories, young man. It's strange to me, sir, knowing you have them. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I'm not deliberately snooping, you know. I, I'm not saying to myself, gee, I wonder what Kadim and Krista's first date was like, or... Then he frowned. Oh, well, I'm with you. I thought Tropic Thunder was a funny film, even if she didn't. <laughs> Kadim felt his head shaking slowly left to right. It was amazing. Anyway, sorry, said the president. The point is that I'm not deliberately doing stuff like that. You're entitled to your privacy, young man. Thank you, sir. So you were overseas? Yes, sir. Operation Iraqi Freedom. To his credit, the president's gaze didn't waver. But you're home now, Jarrison said in a tone that Kadim was sure was meant to elicit gratitude. Kadim took a deep breath then. Not exactly, sir. My home is in Los Angeles, but I'm being treated here. Jarrison frowned, perplexed. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know you were injured. And perhaps he had already recalled what Kadim was about to tell him, but had simply forgotten what was the mountain of other things he had to think about. Kadim sighed slightly. If only everything could be so easily forgotten. I've got post-traumatic stress disorder. The president nodded. Ah, yes. Professor Singh's been helping me. He was, until we got interrupted. He's still got a lot of work to do. You're in good hands, I'm sure, said Jarrison. We always try to look after our boys in uniform. The comment seemed sincere, and although Kadim indeed hadn't voted for Jarrison, he hadn't voted for anyone, he again had second thoughts about what he intended to do. No one should have to go through this. But he had. Kadim had. Hundreds of times now. And if the pleas of service moms hadn't succeeded, if the sight of flag-covered coffins hadn't done it, if the bleak news reports out of Baghdad hadn't been enough, maybe, just maybe, this would be. Thank you, sir, Kadim said. The president was hooked up to a vital signs monitor like the one Kadim had been connected to before. It was showing 72 heartbeats per minute. Kadim imagined his own pulse rate was much higher. The President of the United States. Khalil and Lamar would never believe this. But then Khalil and Lamar had stayed in South Central. They probably didn't really believe, or at least didn't really fully appreciate, the stories Kadim had brought back from Iraq. But the President could be made to believe, to appreciate, to feel. Mr. President, I have to say it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. My mama, she'll... she'll be amazed. The president gestured toward the photographer who quickly snapped three more shots. We'll send her pictures, of course. Then the president's eyebrows went up. Your mama, she's a nice lady, isn't she? She's the best, sir. He nodded. This is so strange. Tanisha, isn't it? I, I see you love her very much. I do, sir. She done her best by me. I'm sure, I'm sure. And oh, it, it's her birthday next week, isn't it? Yes, sir. Won't you give her my regards? Kadim nodded. She'll be thrilled, sir. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Agent Dawson looking at her watch. He doubtless didn't have much time left, and, and even the mere thought of what he was going to do set his stomach to churning, and he could feel perspiration breaking out on his brow. 
Well, Kadim said, I'm sure you've got matters of state, <laughs> a phrase he never thought he'd utter in his whole life, to attend to. He stood up, and the chair's four legs made a scraping sound against the tiled floor as he pushed it back a bit. He took a deep breath and swallowed, trying to calm himself. Then, finally, he blurted it out. But I hope you'll think about babies after I leave, sir. The president looked at him, his eyebrows pulled together. Babies? Yes, sir, crying babies. Kadim felt his own pulse racing, and, and he reached out to steady himself by holding on to the angled part of the president's bed, which caused Agent Dawson to surge forward. Crying babies, Kadim repeated, and the smell of smashed concrete. The president made a sharp intake of breath, and although the volume on his vital signs monitor was turned almost all the way down, Kadim could hear the heartbeat pings accelerating. It happened with astonishing quickness, footfalls outside the door. Then a woman came in, black, elegant, uh, one of Sue's memories. It was Alyssa Snow, the Jerison's private physician. Mr. President, are you, are you okay, sir? She asked. All the eyes, the photographers, Agent Dawson's, Kadeem's, the nurses, and Dr. Snow's were on Seth Jerison. There were whites visible all around his irises, as if he was seeing something horrific. And he was. Kadim had no doubt. Yes, just because they were linked didn't mean their recollections were in sync, but the flashback trigger would have had the same effect on the president as it was having on him. They might be experiencing different parts of it just now. Kadim was seeing the half-track rolling over a corpse. The president might be seeing another wall shattering under mortar fighter. But they were both there. Kadim, for the thousandth time, and Seth Jerison for the very first. Mr. President, asked Dr. Snow desperately, are, are you okay, sir? The president was shaking his head slowly left and right, a small arc of what looked like disbelief, and his mouth had dropped open. Dr. Snow was now standing on the opposite side of the bed from Kadim and using two fingers to check the president's pulse. Kadim staggered backward and ended up leaning against the wall for support. Fire. Smoke. Screams! He could barely see the real world, the hospital room, the president, but he turned his head and tried to make out the great man's expression. His face showed not shock and awe, but shock and horror. The doctor was moving now to wipe the president's brow. Explosions! Babies crying. Gunfire! Mr. President, Snow said, Sir, for God's sake! Agent Dawson moved in too and also said, Mr. President, Kadim knew, of course, that neither of them noticed, or if they did notice, that neither of them cared that he was in distress, too. That was normal here in Washington, the way it had been not just since the start of this war, but going right back to Korea. But maybe, just maybe, that would change now. He tried to shunt aside his own fear so that he could see Jerison's face contort, see him recoil from some invisible blow or explosion, see him the President of the United States, be the first person holding that office in decades to walk in a soldier's shoes, share a soldier's burden, and feel a soldier's terror at the things those back home had ordered soldiers to do. Nice little scene change. Susan spoke into her sleeve mic. Get singing here right away! She wheeled on Kadeem Adams. What did you do to him? Nothing said Adams, but he seemed to be struggling to get even that single word out. 
Susan looked over at the president, lying on his bed, his head propped up, his eyes wide with terror, sweat beating on his forehead. Dr. Alyssa Snow was listening to his chest with a stethoscope. Nothing, my ass, said Susan. What did you do to him? But Kadim's eyes were closed and he was swaying erratically from side to side as if having trouble keeping his balance. He hadn't touched him. He hadn't done anything. And yet, for God's sakes, Kadim, Susan exclaimed, he's recovering from heart surgery. She heard rapid footfalls in the corridor outside, and then the door burst open, revealing Ranjip Singh in the company of one of the Secret Service agents. Susan pointed at Jerison. Kadim did something to the president's mind, and now he's having a seizure. Susan watched Ranjip turn to look at Kadim, and she followed his gaze. Kadim had had his eyes scrunched tightly shut and was shaking his head rapidly in a small arc from left to right. His forehead was slick with sweat, slick with sweat. Oh, shit, said Singh, the first time Susan had heard him swear. He went over to Kadim and guided him. Kadim's eyes were still closed to the chair next to the president's bed. And gently, almost lovingly, he eased Kadim into it. And then he took one of Kadim's hands in his own, light brown against dark brown. And to Susan's surprise, he reached over and took one of the presidents in his other hand, beige against light brown. And he stood between the two men, a human bridge, and said, all right, both of you, listen to me, listen to me. You're having a flashback. It's me, it's Ranjip Singh, and you're at Luther Terry Memorial Hospital. You're home, you're in the United States, and you're safe. You are safe. Susan started toward the bed. She didn't like that Singh had brought Kadim so close to Jerison, but Dr. Snow motioned for her to stay back. Susan could see the sheet over the president's chest heaving up and down. Above the rapid beeping of his heart rate monitor, she could hear Kadim whimpering softly. You're safe, Ranjip said again. You're safe. That was thousands of kilometers away and many, many months ago. It's over. Kadim, it's over. And Mr. President, Mr. Jerison, Seth, it's over. Susan felt helpless and furious. She never should have allowed Adams in here. Christ, he might end up as the guy who'd managed to succeed at what Gordo Danbury had failed to do. The president's heart was still racing, and Dr. Snow was busily preparing a hypodermic. Take a deep breath, Ranjip said, looking at the president whose eyes were still wide. And Take a deep breath, he said to Kadim, whose grip Susan saw was so tight now on Singh's hand that it must be hurting them both. Hold it in, Ranjip said. Just hold it. For a count of five. One, two, three, four, five. Now, let it out slowly, slowly. That's right, Seth. That's right, Kadim. You can do it too. Slowly, gently. Let the air out. Let the memory out. Release it. Let it go. There was an extended silence from the president's monitor as his heart skipped a beat. And what then happened, uh, and when that happened, Susan's own followed suit. Dr. Snow looked at him with concern, but when the beep started again, they were progressively further apart. Again, said Ranjip Singh, take a deep breath. Again, both of you, relax. Now, concentrate on something peaceful, a, a clear blue sky. That's it. That's all. Just that. The sky, blue and clean and bright, a beautiful summer's day, not a cloud to be seen, peaceful, calming, relaxing. 
had looked to Susan as though Kadim's grip was lessening a bit and he'd stopped making sounds. The president's eyes were no longer wide and he was blinking rapidly, perhaps as he imagined looking up at a sunny sky. Jerison turned at last to sing and seemed to recognize him. Thank you, he said softly. Thank you. Singh nodded and let go of the president's hand. He looked at Kadim, and Dr. Snow immediately moved in and mopped the president's brow. She then placed her stethoscope back on the president's chest and nodded, apparently satisfied with what she was hearing. Kadim was shaking. Susan saw as if he were freezing to death. Ranjip was now facing him directly. He took both his hands and looked straight into Kadim's eyes, which had finally opened. It's all right, Ranjip said again. It's all right. Ranjip had a puzzled expression. Susan realized the Canadian wanted to ask Kadim what had triggered the flashback, but of course he couldn't ask him that without bringing the trigger to mind, and that might set off another episode. He did it, Susan said, pointing at Kadim. He did it deliberately. No, said Ranjib, shaking his head. Surely not. He did it, Susan repeated. He did that to the president. Ranjib looked at Kadim as if expecting a denial, but when none was forthcoming, Ranjib said softly, his tone conveying he was stunned by what the young man had done. Kadim. Susan spoke into her sleeve. Dawson to Hudkins and Michaelis, come to, the pros- come to Prospector's room right away. She looked at Kadim. You've made the biggest mistake of your life, she said. This was the stupidest thing you... Agent Dawson. The voice was weak, but oh so familiar. She turned to face Prospector. Yes, Mr. President? Go. Easy. On the young man, Jerison said. But sir, he... Jerison silenced her with a hand gesture, and he turned his gaze to Kadim just as the door opened, revealing the two agents Susan had called for. Private Adams, Jerison said, still weak. Was that what it was really like? Kadim nodded once. Yes, sir, Mr. President. I'm sorry I had to. Susan saw the president making the same silencing gesture at Kadim as he had at her, and Seth Jerison was a hard man to disobey. You went through... All of that? Yes, Mr. President. Kadim paused then, and not just me, sir. Lots of us went through it, or something similar. Jerison seemed to consider this for a time. Then at last, he slowly nodded, and to Susan's surprise, he said, Thank you, Private Adams. Thank you for sharing that with me. And then Kadim Adams surprised Susan. He stood up ramrod straight and crisply saluted his commander-in-chief. Thank you, sir. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.